Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast, Monday morning whip around roundup edition. Glad you're still with us. Glad you're going to stick with us through the entire season. If you do enjoy these episodes and the podcast in general, subscribing always helps. Rating and reviewing always helps as well, especially on iTunes. So thank you to all of those that have been doing that lately. All right. Wonderful slate, a wild and crazy slate. Just before we get going and this snowball becomes a boulder. We'll be back on Monday night for the waiver podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday and Thursday for the previews and backfields and rankings and all those good podcasts as well. So stick with us. All right, let's get it started. Let's start off with the game of the week. At least I thought it was. Uh, The Houston Texans at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Texans win on the road 31 to 24. Texans approved to four and two. And the Chiefs are now four and two after losing two straight. Uh, let's go to John Daigle for this one. Daigle, like Deshaun Watson's stat line, not overly impressive. Like 280 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions on 30 completions. So, how did the Texans convert 131 points and two? still win this game against a high-powered Chiefs offense by doing it defensively? I wouldn't say the past two weeks that Watson's protection has been better. They're still leaky, but somehow, some way, it does seem like he's been kept cleaner, uh, almost as if he's done it all himself in making plays outside of the pocket and buying time. They, the Texans lost starting rookie right tackle Titus Howard in this one midway through, but even so... Watson wasn't under duress too much. It was just the fact that uh, he created plays downfield whenever possible. And the box score, we'll get to this in a second, but the box score does not even begin to explain how good he played because the Texans dropped not one, but four touchdown catches. Wow. Okay, let's get into it because I did overlook the fact that Deshaun Watson had 10 carries for 42 yards and two touchdowns. I mean... If there's any, there are a lot of good quarterbacks in the league, Daigle. But Mm -hmm. to me, if you put Deshaun Watson on the field any Sunday, any Monday night, any Thursday night, he gives you a chance to win just because of the playmaker mentality that he dishes out on the field, that he exudes if it's in a passing situation or even in a running situation. And just under half of those carries were actual design runs. Let's get to these receivers, because as I just mentioned, four drop touchdowns. So where did those go? DeAndre Hopkins, one drop touchdown in the, the back of the end zone, and it was just a short one inside the five. Will Fuller's were the one that hurt immensely. Uh, if you totaled the exact yardage, and I wrote this in the blurb, he left three catches for 103 yards and three scores on the field. Ooh. That's why his stat line, despite leading the Texans in air yards, once again uh, came out to a worse and much more pitiful uh, five catches for 44 yards but the Texans were down in this one 17 to 3 it like took them actually hiking their passing volume because they had no choice because they were down two scores because the Chiefs just got on a roll from the get-go which we'll talk about them in a second that's why Jordan Akins and Darren Fells people talk about them but they just continue splitting into each other's time Um, that's why they also were involved in this one 
But the fact is, yeah, that they just started throwing the ball. Duke Johnson only involved when the Chiefs trailed by two scores. Otherwise, it was Carlos Hyde's show, as I'm sure you're looking at in the box score right now. And that's kind of where this offense went for the entire day. Yeah, somehow Carlos Hyde still manages to get 26 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins, 12 targets, 9 receptions, and just 55 yards. Seems like he was used much closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, Let's flip it on over to the Chiefs' side of this, Daigle, because you know they got Tyreek Hill back, and he opened with this ridiculous... 46-yard touchdown on a free play, jumping over defensive backs. But, I mean, it certainly seems like from Mahomes' stat line, 19 completions on 35 attempts, 273 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception, that they just didn't get those big plays other than that one that this team is accustomed to that really elevates them over other teams. There's something off. Unlike last year when Mahomes was hitting these man-on-man plays in the corner of end zones and just making impossible throws, he's certainly still seeing those impossible throws. But I think it was four or five times that throws he would have made last year to the back of the end zone, just a man-on-man coverage, barely being the defender in a tight window, he he just didn't hit. And he wasn't hobbling from that ankle injury midweek until a defender fell on his ankle, the same left ankle, by the way, midway through the first quarter. And then he came up limping, and you could tell. I actually thought he was going to come out of the game at one point. And you could tell he just struggled making downfield plays and stepping on it from that point forward. Um, You know, Tyreek Hill definitely involved. He's still Tyreek Hill. We talked about it on the show this on Sunday morning. You have to play him. Like, if Tyreek Hill is healthy and active, you play him no matter what. But everyone else kind of fell in line, right? It's, It's what we've come to expect not knowing the production of everyone behind Hill when everyone's involved. So you have Nicole Hardman used on short screen passes and whatnot on four catches for 45 yards. Demarcus Robinson, four huge downfield targets, but didn't catch any of them. So he comes out completely empty. So his floor is zero. And then um, Travis Kelsey had slipped on a touchdown pass inside the five. He broke towards the sideline and would have caught it for a score had he not fallen down. Um, which then just ended the route. Yeah, I mean, at least the Chiefs kind of abandoned the run here. I mean, only eight carries from LaShawn McCord for 44 yards. No one else had more than one. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's just odd looking at this stat line with this Chiefs team that we know that is just explosive, and they're just not being explosive anymore. I I, I don't know what the answer is. Do you? I mean, I know you just mentioned that it's, you know, an injury happened and they're hobbled and they're just not hitting these downfield throws. Yeah. And I think you sent this tweet, Daigle, that, you know, last year, Patrick Mahomes threw for 50 touchdowns and this this year he's on pace for like, what, 37 or 38? Yeah, 37 now he's he's on pace for. And touchdown regression, as we knew, was a real thing. Uh, having said that, he threw for was the only quarterback to throw for 5,000 yards last year, and he's on pace for 5,600. So how do you throw for 600 yard yards, or at least pace for 600 more yards, and yet fall 13 touchdowns short of that pace from last year? Hmm. It's just like missing the little things. And the backfield, I don't even know what to tell you, because we all unanimously agreed, like Damian Williams' positive spot after 35 snaps in Week 5. However, this one... Still played on, unofficially, by the way. We'll get actual snap counts in the morning on this one. Um, For what I saw from next-gen stats was 56% of the team snaps. But he only got two touches. And he only got one carry behind LaShawn McCoy's eight. Whereas he got nine carries ahead of LaShawn McCoy's zero in week five. So how do you even even project that moving forward? Yeah. And the Chiefs next, I think they play on Thursday Night Football on the road against the Denver Broncos, then the Green Bay Packers at home, then the Minnesota Vikings at home. Meanwhile, the also 4-2 and two Houston Texans, who are first in the AFC South, go on the road at the Colts, then at home against the Raiders and the Jaguars. That would be a nice three-game stretch for them. Uh, I have said this before, by the way. I said it on the Sunday show, but I want to say it again because it's really important, and it was proved again with Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. Like, yes, we want to continue playing Duke Johnson. We want Bill O'Brien to pay play bill to play duke johnson but the most common mistake is fantasy is chasing what should happen and what and not what is happening and right now it is clear that duke johnson is just outright droppable across rosters they have no interest in using him whatsoever carlos Hyde fumbled on the very first touch of this game for the texans offense and he got put back in the next possession and then you see his stat line the biggest shock of sunday was the new york jets at home beating the dallas cowboys and sam Darnold's return 24 
to 22. Uh, Daigle, the Jets were up 21 to 6 at halftime. The Cowboys tried to claw back, just didn't do it in the second half, missed a uh, two point conversion to tie it up with less than a minute to go. But tell me about Sam Darnold. How did he look in this one? He's back to being fun. Nice. Now, now, it was against a Cowboys defense that, man, we'll, we'll go over their injuries in a second, but they also lost Byron Jones and uh, Dorrance Armstrong mid-game. They were, they were just hobbled all the way across their roster. But the fact that Sam Donald's playmaking is back, like that's what this offense missed. And the most just, – just, it's a – it's the sign that you need to see, right? Dak Prescott gets stuffed fourth and two inside the seven in the in the first quarter to end it, and then Donald next play is rushed, steps up in the pocket, launches it to Robbie Anderson, just running straight downfield. Trevor Simeon and Luke Falk could not do that. Sam Donald did do that and connected on a 92-yard touchdown. Like this is what sets. Anderson and Crowder apart now is that they have an actual playmaker on the field. He's only 22 and he's already, this was the third time in his career. He's thrown for 300 plus yards in a game. Yeah. 23 or 32, 338, two touchdowns and an interception uh, just sacked twice. Uh, Robbie Anderson, like you mentioned that 92 yard touchdown to go with five receptions, 125 yards and a touchdown. Jamison Crowder stays that, you know, relevant figure with Sam Darnold, nine targets, six receptions, 98 yards. I know like, there, weren't a, there wasn't a lot of production to Le'Veon Bell's name, just three receiving yards and 50 rushing yards and a touchdown. But he looked good. He looked quick. He looked fluid. What about this Cowboys team? Let, I'll just run through a few injuries, right? They were missing Tyron Smith at left tackle. They were missing Lyle Collins at right tackle. Uh, Amari Cooper left early with a quad injury. Is this offense, I mean, that's three major pieces from it. They just weren't able to overcome it until those final few moments, could they? I wouldn't even say Brandon Knight played bad in Lyle Collins' absence. The thing is, Dak Prescott was still under pressure on over half his snaps in this game. And it was it was obvious without even seeing that. He was just under duress the entire time. And when you lose Cooper in the first quarter and Devin Smith and Randall Cobb were both scratched, what do you do? Like, you have no choice but to go to Cedric Wilson, I believe his name is. I could be making that first thing hey, up even. don't, don't. <laughs> Diminish okay. Cedric okay, Wilson. Maybe it is Cedric Wilson. Went to Do Boise State. Like- yeah, went okay. to Boise State. Cedric Wilson, I know he got cut and was injured last year and all that stuff. Cedric Wilson's a pretty fun fl- player. Five receptions to 46 yards to you, sir, today. Yeah, okay. So he might just be on the waiver wire column then because Florio later reported that Cooper ha- is in significant pain. So we don't even know if Cooper will miss time. And newsflash, now the Cowboys have the toughest projected schedule in the entire league until week 16 like it does not get any easier from here they just truly need their offensive linemen back like that's the bread and butter but what you're also seeing in that box score is 28 carries for ezekiel elliott and five catches on six targets and that now makes 71 to 7 that zeke's out touched tony pollard the past three games because his bell cow usage and i had i had doubts uh, I deny that he was going to get used in the passing game, but you know, whenever they're down twenty-one to nine in the fourth quarter, and you have no other option, and this this still sticks around, by the way, if Amari Cooper misses time, if you have no other option, they have to use Zeke in the passing game, and that's happened now with over five targets in his past three games. Twenty-one to six at halftime, like I said. How? How? And I know they almost came back and tied it or won it or whatever. How does Ezekiel Elliott see 28 carries in this game? Like, I know he had 105 yards. I know he had a touchdown. But that just seems like, you know, this love that we all had for Kellen Moore in those first two or three games has just vanished in this three-game losing streak with how they're just giving it to Ezekiel Elliott with these offensive line injuries and a negative game script. And that just continues to put yourself back. And it's been the same the three weeks in a row right where we didn't we've questioned the big picture we've questioned the play calling whereas after the first three weeks we just fell in love with the play calling like the the passing usage and the the creativity it was all there but these last three games first one we chalked up in against the saints like whatever on the road uh teddy bridgewater it just you just fell short you just had the wrong game plan no big deal but the past two weeks have shown that it is now a concern having said that uh I've done this for too long, Josh. Uh, J- Jason Garrett and Dak Prescott, like whatever the case, 
none of them are going anywhere. Like Jason Garrett, I am still 110% convinced is coaching this team all the way till the end of the year, whether he has a contract extension or not coming up. And uh, yeah, the play calling, I just, I don't know what to tell you. I need to dive in even further, but it's been atrocious the past two games. And just the fact you give your running back 28 carries up the middle and that's your answer being down three scores. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's very fitting that Tavon Austin was the team's leading receiver today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of all you need to say. I think, I think we could have summed the entire game up by saying that. Uh, the NFC East is a complete mess. The Eagles, who we'll talk about later, are 3-3. Three and three. Dallas, 3-3. Three and three. The Giants, 2-4. and four. And obviously, Washington Redskins uh, are 1-5. and five. But coming up again, to end this three-game losing streak for the Cowboys, they have to play the Eagles, then at the road on the Jets, or the Giants, I should say, uh, then Vikings at home and Lions away and Patriots away. That's a, it's an interesting stretch. Interesting and few games they have up. If the Cowboys don't get back Lyell and Tyron Smith against the Eagles front seven, like I know what we saw, what Kirk Cousins did to them today. But again, that's their secondary. Their front seven is what is terrifying. And I assure you, they will absolutely just dominate Dak if the Cowboys aren't healthy. The Baltimore Ravens at home approved to 4-2, and two, beating the Cincinnati Bengals 23-17. to 17. Hayden Winks covered it for us. Hayden, all I saw tuning in early in this game was Lamar Jackson running through, around, even over Cincinnati Bengals. I believe he had 100 rushing yards at halftime. He finished with 152 and a touchdown on the ground. Yeah, that was the third most in pro football references database among quarterbacks. Um, yeah, it was just dominant. The Bengals linebackers looked awful today. It was on scrambles. It was on designed runs. They just had no answers. Mark Ingram also scored a rushing touchdown. But, yeah, the, the game was – the score was 23-17, to 17, but it was not nearly as close as what it seems. Yeah, and the Bengals have had seemingly this issue for years. You know, and it's the Bengals, so maybe they're not the most well-run team. But, like, they've had slow linebackers forever. And yeah. slow linebackers against Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. I mean, every single one of those players got over five or five or more carries, and yep. each one had over four yards per carry, which is wild. Um, I mean, I know Lamar passed for 236 yards, but that kind of just seems like not as necessary as it was as the team rushing for 269 yards today. Yeah, it was pretty evident that the Bengals were not going to even come close to stopping them on the run, so... A lot of their passes went to Mark Andrews. Obviously, Marquise Brown was out. Um, Andrews operated as the top receiver. Willie Sneed really didn't do anything. Miles Boykin didn't really do anything. But, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a function of the scoreboard a little bit. Um, Mar Jackson dropped back 33 times. Was still pretty efficient. But um, when you're running the ball like that, teams aren't going to get off of it. There have been some concerns over the last couple weeks from the Mar that we saw in the first two weeks versus the Mar maybe that we saw in the – previous three games how do you think that this passing performance stood up against those i mean there was not as many downfield shots it was kind of just like uh take what's given to you so um i don't know it's just so tough to like tell against the Bengals defense right now they're they're awful like they're they're approaching like cardinals defense territory um yeah so i I don't know how much you can learn from this but uh lamar he didn't look bad yeah uh Bengals are own six Basically, they absolutely suck. Uh, Andy Dalton was 21 of 39, 235, and an interception. I mean, Alex Erickson was their leading rusher with 17 yards. Joe Mixon (laughs) had eight carries for 10 yards. Alden Tate was the leading receiver for 91 yards, had a nice downfield completion that he went up and got it. But, like, even players that people think they can rely on because of volume didn't hit. Joe Mixon had 29 receiving yards to go with again with those 10 rushing yards. Tyler Boyd, just seven targets, three receptions for 10 yards. It's getting to that point where, because the Ravens aren't a good defense. It's getting to that point where each and every week you really question if you can start any Bengals. Yeah. I think Tyler Boyd's locked in every single week. This is, this is a really bad game. He wasn't on the same page. He's kind of getting shut down treatment from Marlon Humphrey. Um, But yeah, I mean, Today's game, it was basically Andy Dalton under pressure, and nobody was getting open. So he was literally mm-hmm. just throwing jump balls to Auden Tate, who's a <laughs> seventh round <laughs> player. So, uh, that, I mean, like he literally Auden Tate was like literally the entire offense today. So uh, that's the state of the Bengals right now. Joe Mixon is the, is I think he's the tough one because you want to start him. He has a chance. He like he's still a talented player, um, but the Bengals lost another offensive lineman. I'm not sure how how. Uh, long he's going to be out for but yeah i mean 
you kind of have to play him as like a wide or a running back two or three. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think I'm fine with starting Tyler Boyd. But uh, outside of that, yikes! It gets into a tough schedule here for the Ravens a little bit again. Four and two, and right now first in the AFC North at Seattle, then home against New England, then you get your Bengals again. Uh, then against the Texans at home and the Rams on the road, then 49ers at home and Bills on the road. So that's a uh, this. I'm not going to say it's make or break, obviously, but it's the meat of their schedule and it really shows you who the Ravens are. And we certainly know that they need to pick it up defensively. They're ever doing this one, but who knows? Uh, okay, let's go to your next game. Uh, two teams that absolutely stink this year as well. Uh, you had the Arizona Cardinals beating the Atlanta Falcons at home, 34-33. to The Cardinals now have two wins on their record. The Falcons stay with just one. And Hayden, this one ended with a mat- missed extra point by Matt Bryant. Yeah, another uh, state of Georgia tragedy on the kicking woes this weekend. Um, Matt Ryan, another game he's as reliable as it gets, another 300-yard passing game, full of garbage time. Um, but I mean, he still looks good. It's not Matt Ryan's fault. It's not Julio Jones's fault. It's certainly not Austin Hooper's fault. Who's, um, probably the tight end one overall after this week, um, with another eight receptions, 117 yards and a touchdown. And some of those catches were very difficult. Like they were twisting and turning. There were bucket throws over his shoulder. Like they weren't, they weren't easy. Uh, and Matt Ryan, like you mentioned, I mean, he was 30 of 36, 356 (laughs) and four touchdowns like none like the offense is still fun to watch the defense is absolutely atrocious and even with a great player like Grady Jarrett out there I mean you even got Devontae Freeman making plays for maybe the first time this season 88 rushing yards he had 30 receiving yards two receiving touchdowns it just doesn't matter because of how bad this defense is yeah I mean I don't know what happened like it's been like three years and I mean, the whole defense is just off. And, like, that's with them investing in the defensive linemen recently. It's just, yeah, it's it's trouble over in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, it made sense last year, right? Like, all the injuries right. that they had. And I guess Keanu Neal was injured this year. But, I mean, it's still – you can't have that excuse really two years in a row, especially when you start one and five. And like you kind of alluded to, this – roster is kind of just disintegrated not offensively i guess but there's only so much your offense can do when you're allowing 30 plus points uh every game um you and i were in the slack chat for roto world and we were just you know talking highly of kyler murray i mean this is two back-to-back performances where kyler murray looked great i mean i thought his his game against the Bengals last week was his best of the season he's showing new stuff each and every week and sure you can say ones against the Bengals, ones against the falcons but Hayden, some of these throws that he was making and some of the plays that he was creating on his own really translate week to week. Yeah, definitely. When he, when he has a little bit of time, which I think uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray are kind of figuring out what works, what doesn't work. But I mean, he's so he's so mobile. Another thirty-two rushing yards today. Um, getting outside the pocket, like he's super accurate. And um, what we saw today that we haven't really seen much. It was some downfield shots. He hit Demir Bird um, down downfield that almost went for a touchdown. Um, I believe it was Trent Sherfield had a catch down the sideline. So, yeah, I think that was like the last missing ingredient that we haven't seen. It's just kind of been checked down Kyler. But um, even even with all of that nonsense in the beginning of the season, Kyler's still um, he's going to be a top eight quarterback on the season so far after this week. Um, just there's so much upside when Christian Kirk comes back. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of weeks where I'm going to be ranking Kyler in the top five at quarterback. Nice. And I, I would say just from watching this game from afar. Cliff Kingsbury was a little bit more creative. You know, he did some fun things yeah. with Chase Edmonds and David Johnson. Um, they still don't have an outside receiver presence, but it really shows that Kyler is making and, and elevating people around him because, you know, their leading receiver at 69 yards on Larry Fitzgerald. And like the play that he made to run around the pocket and throw that down strike down the middle was fantastic. Um, David Johnson, Demir Bird, both had 68 and 60 yards respectively. But other than that, you had a few with 30 yards. Like no one went over 100 or 125 yards. He really spread the football around. And that, I mean, to me is telling of someone who's the best player on offense and dishing it like assists to some average skill position player talent. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were sold on with the air raid was um, when this offense gets in rhythm, it's just about getting as many pass catchers on the field and then spreading to the spreading the ball around to whoever's open. So um, for the first couple of weeks, that was a lot of Larry Fitzgerald, a lot of Christian Kirk. Um, a lot of those were like kind of forced, though. Um, right. I think that they're trying to figure out what is actually working in the NFL. Um, and yeah, it's just like 
it's an offense you want to be invested in. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad the team is. I don't really care how bad the offensive line is anymore. It's a uh, Kyler Murray's creating and uh, you want pieces. Yeah. And it's, it's super promising and they're at the jets next. Um, and then it gets difficult <laughs> and then it gets yeah. a little difficult. It's, <laughs> it's it's the saints. It's the 49ers bucks on the road. Who cares? Then at the 49ers again. So you get the 49ers twice in a four game span. Uh, after the Giants, so uh, yeah, let's load up on the Cardinals this week. How about that, Hayden? I got I got one one piece of advice here. I yeah. think it's 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 kind of hard to buy players in fantasy. Like we always say it, but it's kind of it's hard to get your league mate to actually trade players. I think the guy that's the worthwhile pickup is Chase Edmonds. Uh, Love it. He would be like a every every week RB one in fantasy if if anything happened to David Johnson. Um, David Johnson managed to go through with, uh, or play through his back injury, but if, if he has a flare up. We've seen him with the wrist. Something happens to him. Uh, Chase Edmonds, I think, is way more worthwhile than having like some like random wide receiver five on your bench. Yeah, draft evaluations are draft evaluations, but I freaking love Chase Edmonds coming out of Fordham. He was my favorite player that Shrine week. He got, I think that like he pulled his hamstring there, but uh, he's a he was a really really fun player in college. And yeah, this usage was promising today. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much they switch those up. And I was also very proud of my tweet. Hayden comparing Matt Bryant to Billy Joel. If you even know who Billy Joel is, you might be a little young for that. Yeah, I, I have never heard of him. I'm <laughs> joking. <laughs> uh, the Seattle Seahawks are now five and one as they went to Cleveland and beat the Browns thirty-two to twenty-eight. Patrick Doherty, it's the up and down Cleveland Browns versus a consistent Seattle Seahawks offense, where many are saying now Russell Wilson here at the end of Week Six who cares, is the lead MVP candidate. He is. He has 17 touchdowns combined on the year, one turnover on the year. Uh, he keeps consistently getting two to three passing touchdowns a game, despite the fact that he's been held under 30 attempts in three of six games. Uh, you know, he, I said, I think I said this a week or two ago, you know, Russell Wilson was supposed to regress off of last year's ridiculous touchdown percentage. And coming into this week, uh, he had regressed, but he regressed from a league-leading 8.2% to a league leading 7.7%. And, you know, today he didn't goose that. He only, he quote unquote, only got two touchdowns. But, I mean, Russ is just playing straight up out of his mind. And with Patrick Mahomes scuttling here the past three weeks, uh, I think you have to say Russell Wilson's the MVP favorite. And he's, he's, he's putting up the numbers and he's putting his team on his back. Uh, you know, kind of overcoming shaky coaching overcoming you know kind of like a, a transition like a sporting cast and transition which will be even more exacerbated now without will disley for the rest of the season but yeah i kind of mentioned that in my blurb today I, i'm on i'm on the rust for mvp bandwagon right now yeah and disley left with an achilles tear it seems like russell wilson finished 23 of 33 295 and two touchdowns uh chris carson 24 carries 124 yards and a touchdown it kind of seems like clockwork for him uh, each and every week he also added a I had no, he did not. I thought he got a receiving touchdown. No, it was just a goal line one. Jerron Brown, though, two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, 75 yards. DK Metcalf, 69 yards. Like, no big-time receiving threats. But, Pat, it seems like they're just using everyone to the correct ability, but just, like, the passing volume is not there compared to other teams because they do want to get, you know, 38 carries across the board for their team. Yeah, I mean, they're they're establishing it hardcore, and they're establishing it after, you know, they had thought about benching their running back and he's averaging, I believe, 22 or 23. Uh, he might be averaging 27 touches since then. I can't remember the exact wow. number, Chris That's Carson. Awesome. But, yeah, they have uh, full on committed to him and he's scoring every week. He's hitting at least 20 to 22 carries every week. And he was running like a beast every week. Uh, we, we're joking about it. But uh, if you're going to establish a runner, Chris Carson is indeed a very good one to establish. And uh no, yeah, and uh, yeah, Chris Carson, good at football. Uh, big takeaway from the podcast. Uh, against the Ravens next, then at the Falcons, against the Bucks. Like, that's a pretty freaking good three-game schedule to close out October uh, and start November for a team that's already 5-1. Um, and one. Should we hit the other side of this, Pat, with the Cleveland Browns? Like, looking at this Baker Mayfield stat line, 22 of 37, 249, a touchdown, and three interceptions, uh, no sacks, but like how many of these interceptions can you put on Baker? Because I mean, it's been a roller coaster of a season, if not, not even a roller coaster. Cause that maybe presents too many positive moments for him. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a roller coaster in descent all season. Uh, first pick, just totally horrible. He threw it right to, uh, I forget the DB, but threw it directly to, uh, what's his name? Trey, Trey something. Flowers. Yeah, Trey Flowers, directly to Trey Flowers. Uh, the second one, you know, kind of clanged off of, I believe, Jarvis Landry's hands, but it's because the ball was behind him. And I think that oh, might have happened. Oh, and the Dontrell Hillard happened in the end, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, and he that was a huge problem for Baker Mayfield today. Uh, you know, in, in theory, he was getting hurt by drops, but he kept putting the ball on his pass catcher's back shoulder. And you do that, quite often the ball will bounce up into the air and be picked off. And that happened on two of his three interceptions. And like I said, the first one he threw directly uh, to the defensive back. And just, you know, he finally got a little fantasy traction had a passing touchdown, had a rushing touchdown, uh, finally got things cooking with Odo Beckham a little bit, who had six catches for 101 yards and had two kind of thrown to his back shoulder that could have been completions, and he had two completions called back by penalty. Uh, so it could have been an even bigger day for Odell Beckham. So I, mean, I guess the takeaway, yeah, maybe they schemed around the Seahawks' non-existent pressure a little bit. Uh, you know, he got his all-pro wide receiver going a little bit. I mean, just throwing too many bad footballs and against a not a very good defense at home. And if you're looking for positive takeaways for Baker Mayfield, they're still few and far between. Yeah, I mean, they scored 20 points in the first half, Pat, and just eight in the second half. Meanwhile, Seattle scored at least six points in every single quarter. It's just, I mean, at halftime, I guess the Browns probably felt pretty good. I mean, Nick Chubb had 20 carries, 122 yards, and two touchdowns as the best player on this offense still. But, like, I mean, it's just something that it seems like Freddie Kitchens and company. I know there was this weird fourth down goal line scenario that they put on the field. Like, they, they just – and I can't I, – I keep going back to this, Pat, and tell me if, like, I'm, I'm crazy for saying it over and over again. But 365 days ago, we just didn't know who Freddie Kitchens was. He was still the running backs coach for the Browns, and now he's the head coach of this football team and a team that is two and four and has shown no identity or consistency – on a consistent basis. Yeah, I can't say I first guessed the hire. Uh, I kind of liked the hire, but I've since made the joke several times. Or, you know, maybe there was a reason I hadn't heard of this random running backs coach until last October. And maybe it wasn't the greatest idea to make him a head coach three months after no one had never heard of him. And there, there was a sequence today. So the sequence you're referring to today it was fourth and goal. And the play before, it was borderline. It looked like Nick Chubb had gotten in. Um, but they took forever to decide to challenge. The Browns snapped the ball, ran a play that was a touchdown. But right before the play had happened, Freddie Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens had thrown the challenge flag. So he kind of negated his own touchdown, which, you know, that's bad. But that's bad luck more than anything else. You know, that's not like uh, Freddie Kitchens is a horrible coach mistake. This is kind of a bad luck mistake. So they reviewed the play. They do not overturn the touchdown. And here's where the bad coaching comes in. Uh, he called the exact same play. Uh, after the challenge was lost. And this time the Seahawks were quite ready for it and stuffed the Browns. And that is kind of a Freddie Kitchens season in a nutshell where he has frankly not seemed up to the task. Uh, meanwhile, Baker Mayfield can uh, criticize the refs after the game, which is always good in a loss. I mean, they were bad. There was Jarvis Landry had a, one of the worst penalties I've ever seen in history called on him. Essentially, he got called for a blindside block where he was just straight up normally blocking a dude <laughs> and uh, was probably Jarvis, you know, is a very emotional player. It's probably a good thing. He like didn't go nuts and get ejected because it was a very bad call. But the uh, the referees were not the reason the Cleveland Browns uh, lost this football game. Yeah, and the Browns are two and four, head into a bye. And uh, Pat, do you know who they have after the bye? No, it's real leisurely. Uh, you know, this time the leaves are changing in New England this time of year. It's going to be a beautiful road trip uh, <laughs> to Foxborough, Massachusetts. This is going to be, you know, idyllic. You know, yeah, you get they get a whole week to plan for. You know, what to pack? Maybe bring some socks that match the trees. It's going to be just a real fun road trip for the Cleveland Browns. Nick Minzio's sick, so I am filling in for his games. His first one was the Philadelphia Eagles at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings winning at home, actually, 38-20 to and improving to 4-2. and We know that heading into this one, Kirk Cousins had plenty of questions passing the football, issued apologies to multiple players. Stephon Diggs uh, had issues with his usage as well. And all Stefan Diggs did today was seven receptions, 163 yards and three touchdowns on 11 targets. Kirk cousins. Meanwhile, 22 of 29, three thirty-three, four touchdowns and interceptions. So how did this game 
flow. Well, I mean, early on, it was Kirk Cousins just dominating the Eagles on play-action passes. Hit a beautiful throw to Adam Thielen in the back corner of the end zone on an out-and-up near the goal line. I mean, they abused Russell Douglas and Sidney Jones early in this game. Then on another possession in the second quarter, it was a deep, deep post, a long touchdown to Stefan Diggs, 62 yards. That put the Eagles in a 17-3 hole, and there was a glimmer of hope for the Eagles, but then they failed to hit on a 4th-2 and two conversion, which really might have changed the scope of this game because immediately Kirk Cousins responded with a 51-yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs again off of play action. I think you're sensing a theme here. Lots of clean pockets, lots of play action usage, and Kirk Cousins honestly being accurate in those. So that leads us to 24-3. to Eagles did get back into it. Miles Sanders was hit down the seam with a 32-yard touchdown, 20 seconds left in the first half, 24-10. to There's this weird series of events for the Eagles. They could have lined up for a 39-yard field goal attempt, which they did, which would have brought it 24 to 13 at halftime, but instead they snapped it straight to Jake Elliott the kicker and he looked for a single lone receiver who was covered, and so it was a failed fourth down. Again, 20 seconds left, and I believe after the game Doug Peterson said, "Well, the goal was to convert the field goal, fake field goal, and then take a few shots in the end zone and then kick the field goal again possibly." I mean, you just lost yourself three points. Like This wasn't an upside play at all. Eagles do get it back to 24-17, then even close it to 24-20, but they just could not stop Kirk Cousins and this play-action passing. Uh, Carson Wentz did his best, I guess, 26-40, 306 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. There was no rushing attack. I mean, 49 yards by Jordan Howard. Miles Sanders is the leading receiver with 86 yards. Alshon Jeffrey caught 10 catches for 76 yards and a touchdown, but... I mean, a big story, Andre Dillard stepped in at left tackle. This Eagles team, despite me thinking they're very talented, right now, sit 3-3, three and three, have major, major fatal flaw concerns in their secondary and are about to face some very, very difficult defenses. Away at the Cowboys, away at the Bills, home versus the Bears, home versus the Patriots. This four-game stretch is going to dictate the entire season for the Eagles. The other game was the San Francisco 49ers going into Los Angeles and winning against the Rams 20-7. It opened with a beautifully designed first drive by Jared Goff and Robert Woods and Sean McVay ending in a rushing touchdown by Robert Woods. But after that, the Rams got nothing going. believe the score was tied 7-7 late in the second quarter. And the Rams elected to go for it with two straight runs in goal-to-go situations after two great runs by Daryl Henderson, the rookie who was seeing more of a workload with Todd Gurley out of this game. But Malcolm Brown was shut down twice near the goal line. So turning it over on downs, the 49ers just pulled away. And it's because of their defense. I mean, Jared Goff looks like a newly born giraffe trying to walk on its legs the first time when he faces pressure. It's disgusting. It's awkward. Makes you want to turn away at times. And in the last couple years, 2017 and 2018, the Rams offensive line set up this team for success offensively. It was a perfect situation. And it's a bad offensive line. It's certainly not the league's worst offensive line. But if I was a Rams fan, I would interpret it that way because of what you were used to in the previous years. But this just shows you a quarterback who doesn't have it in his resume or repertoire to win outside of structure, and now he's being forced to do that far more often, and it's just not succeeding at all. And getting behind on the sticks and on the scoreboard without really a defense other than Aaron Donald that has big play players, it's a very concerning situation for the Rams, who now sit at 3-3 three and three after winning their first three games, losing their next three. Luckily for them, they get the Falcons on the road and the Bengals to get right spots, which should probably means you should buy up all these Rams players. But overall, like this is a team that has its sights on the NFC Championship of the Super Bowl. With how the team is orchestrated, constructed right now, I don't think that they can get there on the Rams because of how much pressure they're giving up and how bad their quarterback is against pressure. Uh, football perspective, FBG Chase tweeted this out. Jared Goff, 
who fumbled in 10 straight games prior to not fumbling last week, fumbled again today. He didn't lose it, but he did fumble it. That's 13 fumbles and 13 INTs in his last 12 games. Again, 13 fumbles, 13 interceptions in his last 12 games played. That's wild. Tyler Higby was the leading receiver at 25 yards. Jared Goff ended with 13 completions and 24 attempts for 78 yards. Meanwhile, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to do very much. 24 completions and 33 yards. Put it up there for some of his players to go up and get, like George Kittle, like Dante Pettis. He did end with an interception. Jimmy Garoppolo did. Meanwhile, Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida continue to split his backfield. Tevin Coleman, 18 carries. Matt Breida, 13 carries. 45 yards for Coleman, 36 for Breida. And a touchdown for Coleman on the ground. Um, George Kittle went over 100 yards. Matt Breida got 27 receiving yards. It's this 49ers defense, though. It swarms. It's fast. They got multiple fourth down stands in this game. And Robert Saleh was uh, like about to burst a blood vessel in his forehead. Just a really fun game. I cannot wait to watch this 49ers team as it goes along. And they get the Redskins next on the road. Like that's another W. Panthers, Cardinals after that. Fun, fun team. The 49ers are at 5-0 right now. Again, if you're listening, subscribe. Tell one friend. Rate and review. Also want to point you in the direction of rotoworld.com slash win for our season pass, which is extra content, custom scoring as well for your leagues, rankings from all of the writers and blurbers. Uh, and also want to point you to rotoworld.com slash DFS for our DFS toolkit. If you are winning or even losing in DFS and you want a little bit more advice and help and all that stuff, check out our DFS toolkit again over at rotorworld.com slash DFS. The Panthers and Bucks traveled over to London, Tottenham Stadium. Carolina won 37-26. Anthony Costa covered that game for us, Anthony. Um, I see, looking at these stats, that Jameis Winston went full Jameis Winston and very early on to the tune of five interceptions and seven sacks, and I believe he also fumbled the football as well. Yeah, very bad game for Winston. Um, This is what we saw a lot from him last year running around in the pocket, forcing throws that aren't there. Um, I think Winston's not as good as what he's been the last few weeks. Um, you know, a 10 to 2 touchdown interception ratio. But I don't think he's as bad as he was in this game. It's interesting because these teams played fairly recently. I mean, I'm sure you remember it's when they faced off on Thursday Night Football. That was the last time we saw the Cam Newton-led Carolina Panthers. Uh, they put up 37 points in this game. I believe they also muffed a punt. How did they do it? Was it short fields? Did Kyle play well? I mean, Christian McCaffrey was held to just 31 rushing yards. Yeah, there wasn't a ton of action for a game that easily hit the over. Yeah. Um, the running game wasn't there. Both teams averaged under three yards per carry. Not a lot of exciting plays. Really just the Bucks beating themselves. Um, we've seen with the London games where teams just implode and really just a low effort game from the Bucks. But on the other side, I thought Kyle, um, Kyle Allen looked fine. You looked at some of the next-gen stuff on Allen. He had a lot of negative plays last week, but I think he's doing exactly what they want, which is playing smart, not turning it over. I'm not buying. He'll remain the starter when Cam is back, but four straight wins for Allen. At the very least, he's played well enough for them not to rush Cam back. Yeah, and I've been playing dumb, and I actually did watch this game, so I should probably inject some of my thoughts into this as well. Uh, no, no, no. But I totally agree with you. Like, Kyle has not thrown an interception since he's been the starter. He has fumbled the ball, and we've talked about, you know, he's had fumbling issues in the past. Um, but, yeah, I, I really think what he's doing so well is executing Norv Turner's offense. And Norv is the one who's been doing exceptional in his job. Like, so often Kyle is hitting his back foot and then delivering the football to an open receiver, even a cover receiver. There was one drive in this game that Callan made some difficult tight window throws. He played well. This is his probably his second or even his best game. That's arguable other than the Arizona Cardinals performance. And it's interesting, right? Like Tampa Bay is really the only team this year that has shut down Christian McCaffrey. But even when Christian McCaffrey is shut down, he has that goal line rushing touchdown on fourth down. And then he has this absurd receiving touchdown where he jukes out Devin White and a few other Tampa Bay Bucks and makes them look silly and get into the end zone. And even Curtis Samuel went off. 70 yards receiving one touchdown that, I mean, he really plucked it away from the defensive back in a poorly thrown ball, and then another eight-yard rushing touchdown as well. Yeah, I mean, really, and he had really had done nothing um, the last couple of weeks, Samuel, so that was good to see. Um, you know, I think he's probably 
um, a better fit for Kyle Allen, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't clicked. So that was definitely an encouraging sign with uh, Curtis Samuel. Yeah, and we know that a bunch of these Buccaneer stats went up in garbage time. It's interesting. I, th- I believe both teams obviously have a bye coming back from London. So the Panthers are now 4-2 and two after starting 0-2. And, and Tampa Bay, whose defense, you know, was applauded early in the season. I'm not going to say they've imploded. Um, but I would say a big change for the Panthers has been shifting that offensive line, even with Greg Little out left tackle. Uh, Dennis Daly stepped in at left tackle and played a lot better than Darrell Williams did against that Tampa Bay front. Um, should we switch over to your other game, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, th- I mean, not a ton. Redskins had some notable things in that game, but yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Um, okay. First, I think you should file a report on Patrick for forcing you to watch this Redskins-Miami Dolphins game. I mean, the score was close. I'll give you it to you there. 17-16, the Redskins on the road get their first win of the season against, again, the winless Dolphins. Um, Case Keenum was the quarterback. Bill Callahan was the head coach. Anthony, he said, Callahan, that he wanted to run the football and rushing attempts were a great predictor of winning football games. I guess this won't change his mind because Adrian Peterson did end with 23 carries for 118 yards. Yeah, first game of the Bill Callahan era went as expected. Peterson had 20-plus touches, season high in carries for him. This was kind of a statement game. Peterson had a falling out with Gruden, so I think there was something extra there this week. And it came against Miami. Um, so definitely some outliers there, but Chris Thompson left with a foot injury. And I, I do think the Redskins are going to be committed to the run under Callahan. I'm just not sure that the game script is going to allow it most weeks. And Terry McLaurin went off early. I mean, he had a great touchdown earlier in this game, finished with four receptions, a hundred yards and two touchdowns. He's really emerging as, you know, one of the best rookies in the NFL uh, on the opposite side, Anthony, what a weird week for Miami. I mean, it's a weird season. But earlier this week, Brian Flores came out and said, yes, we have determined that Josh Rosen is our starter for the rest of the season, probably to not have to answer questions about that on a weekly basis. Then after three quarters, Josh Rosen is 15 of 25 for 85 yards and two interceptions and sacked five times. So after three quarters, Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in 12 attempts or excuse me, 12 completions on 18 attempts. 132 yards and a touchdown. I mean, what a weird way to handle the quarterback situation, even on a really bad team. It was just kind of like they needed a spark. Um, you know, Rosen was benched uh, start of the fourth quarter. Um, to me, I think it was kind of warranted. I mean, when I'm watching him, it really just feels like the pass protection has got to him. I think he's seeing ghosts. On the first interception, the ball placement was behind the receiver when it should have been right on him. He's not taking any deep shots. The air yards, the next-gen stats have been very bad on Rosen. Um, so this was a definite step back. The Dolphin confirmed he's still the starter in the postgame, but a definite step back. What a weird – I mean, I don't disagree with the move to switch during the game, I guess, because, like you said, they needed a spark, and Fitzpatrick maybe led them – almost led them back, and I guess it was the best chance for them to win. But making the previous statement – kind of signals some ineptitude, does it not, of Brian Flores saying he's our starter for the rest of the season. And I guess that's still the case because he did start this game and they said he's the starter for the next one. But, like, that's just weird. It just seems like it's an odd way of handling this whole situation in an awful season. It is because, I mean, realistically, it's probably better if they lose this. Um, But at the same time, um, it at the you same know, time, he I, wants to win. Like, yeah. yeah and at the same time, he wants to did win. The job. I mean, if they, you know, if they play for overtime there, maybe they do win. So, I can't hate on the call. Yeah, I guess my point is, if you know that this is even a possibility, that you could change it, you don't make that initial statement. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with the right. It just shows that the, the, the Dolphins coaching staff, um, you know, they kind of just don't uh, know what they're doing right now. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and I know a lot of people bright. in DFS played Kenyon Drake because they thought it would be great volume against the Redskins. They played some Preston Williams, Devontae Parker. I mean, Parker did end with a touchdown. But Anthony, this always comes back to the point is I never want to chase points on really bad teams. And the Dolphins are the worst team in the league. So it doesn't matter if the volume or if the value's there for any of these players. Like, I just never understood chasing it on a Dolphins team that is easily the worst in the NFL. Yeah, and really to jump off what you're saying, Mark Walton's uses was probably the only real takeaway on the Miami side. Um, 
They gave him the start, but he was outsnapped by Drake, and Drake finished with more touches, and Kalen Balaj ended up vulturing a touchdown. Um, but I think there is some value there with Walton. Um, again, that probably falls under chasing, but the Dolphins don't like Drake on early downs, um, and Walton's always had talent, just the off-field stuff held him back. Um, he's, he's only in 2% of leagues, so I think he needs to be one of the top waiver ads. The New Orleans Saints beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville, 13-6, to a whopping 19 points uh, here in 2019. Uh, the Saints do improve to 5-1 and one with many of those wins under Teddy Bridgewater. Let's bring on Jesse Pantusco, who wrote and blurbed this game for Roto World. Jesse, talk me through, it seemed like a lot of the down points in this game. Were there any positives to go along with them? Well, you know, another win for the Saints, 4-0 under Teddy Bridgewater. He didn't do a ton right today, kind of, you know, the usual Teddy Bridgewater game managing. Uh, there, were, there was one play where he had Michael Thomas basically wide open on third and goal, and he airmailed it over his head. So that was a missed opportunity for him, but he recovered nicely, ended up throwing uh, the game's only touchdown pass in the fourth quarter to Jared Cook on uh, a nice well-placed, you know, five-yard pass where only Jared Cook, you know, big 6'5", tight end, uh, could get it. And that's uh, Cook. Cook's uh, second touchdown in as many games after going his first four without one. So he's starting to develop a rapport with Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, and, I mean, I look at 24-36 for Teddy, 240 yards and a touchdown. I mean, I thought Teddy was kind of hitting his groove a little bit, getting more confident as as the weeks go along. And I wouldn't say this Jacksonville defense is good, especially without Jalen Ramsey on the roster. Well, he's on the roster, but on the field right now. And even, like, Alvin Kamara got bottled up, right? Like, 70, no, 67 total yards for him. And that's that's it. For Kamara, he was a question mark coming into this game after tweaking his ankle, I believe, on Thursday's practice. One of those days, and you know he did he did end up playing, but it didn't seem like he was a hundred percent. Actually, he didn't start off the second series. Uh, Latavius Murray was on the field for him. He ended up going to the medical tent for a bit. Looked like he may have aggravated the ankle. Ended up playing through it, but yeah, wasn't very effective. Season low two point eight yards per carry. Played a season low fifty nine point one percent of snaps. Ended up being outgained by Latavius Murray, who set. Uh, season high is pretty much across the board yards from scrimmage uh, Latavius had a pretty good game he actually had had a 42 yard touchdown off a screen pass from Bridgewater that was nullified by a Michael Thomas holding penalty but you know going into next week against the Bears I'll be interested to see what the usage is I imagine Kamara will play probably won't practice a lot this week but uh, yeah he definitely didn't look like Alvin Kamara this week yeah, and just as average and mundane as the Saints were, they still were able to get a win against Jaguars. And I would probably, it seems like, say that Gardner Minshew wasn't adequate or average at all. And this is probably his worst performance of the season, going 14 of 29, 163 yards and in interception as well. Yeah, this was a definite setback for him. I know he's been kind of the media darling with you know the Uncle Rico stuff and the mustaches and People even talking about him maybe overtaking Nick Foles, who the Jaguars brought in on this big $88 million contract. But yeah, today he looked like a sixth-round rookie, which is, you know, at the end of the day, what Gardner Minshew is. Uh, New Orleans brought good pressure. Cam Jordan was in his face all day, sacked him a couple of times. And it really hurt sort of having DJ Chark, who was developed into Minshew's go-to target, taken away from him by Marshawn Lattimore, who did a really nice job on him, limited Chark to season low, 43 yards, and ended up with an interception as well. Yeah, Leonard Fournette still got 20 carries despite this team being down on the scoreboard. Um, took those for 72 yards, a long of 16. Uh, Dede Westbrook was the top receiver with 53 yards. Fournette had his 46 of his own, and then Chark had 43 I mean, Jesse, I'm doing a horrible job of selling of selling this game. It just seems like it like as soon as it was over, it, it's a forgettable one. Yeah, and it, I, definitely a little disappointing for fantasy owners. It didn't have like a high Vegas total. It was only 42, but there was a little bit of shootout potential. I know people were eyeing Minshew as, as maybe a streamer with four teams on buy or even a low-priced DFS commodity. Uh, coming off the his 
probably career best game to this point against Carolina last week with 374 yards. And yeah, none of that really materialized. And uh, an- another tough blow for Jacksonville. They were really shorthanded at tight end going into this game after losing James O'Shaughnessy to a torn ACL. And they didn't have Josh, Josh Oliver either. He's out with a hamstring injury. And uh, today they lost Jeff Swaim, who was kind of the default starter at tight end to a concussion. He was hit uh, concussed on an illegal hit by Demario Davis. Uh, so they're down to their fourth string tight end with uh, Seth DeValve. So, you know, uh, dropping like flies at tight end for Jacksonville right now. And the Saints, as you mentioned, are on the road at the Bears next. And they have the Cardinals and Falcons. And those two games are certainly ones we want exposure to the Saints, especially if Drew Brees is back. Possibly two-man race here in the NFC South between the Saints, who are 5-1, and one, and the Panthers, who are 4-2. and two. Uh, The other game, Jesse, that you had was the Denver Broncos at home getting just their second win of the season, proving to 2-4 and four, over the Tennessee Titans and shut them out. 16 to nothing. You know, all year, Jesse... We've talked about this Vic Fangio defense of the Broncos. They have the personnel. They have the respect, at least we thought, heading into the season. And then they've just laid a lot of goose eggs this year. Did they deliver here with the shutout of an opposing team? Yes, they they definitely did. And it, it's good to see Denver gaining a little momentum. They've, they've won two in a row now and face, actually, this upcoming week on Thursday night, a relatively vulnerable Chiefs team coming off two straight losses. But yeah, a few weeks ago, a few short weeks ago, we were talking about how bad Denver's defense was and what an indictment that was of Vic Fangio, who was one of the only, you know, defensive-minded coaches that was uh, that you know came off the board this year in the coaching carousel. And uh, a couple weeks ago, they allowed over 200 yards at Leonard Fournette, and they were so much better today, limiting Derrick Henry to only 28 yards on 15 carries. Did a great job of bottling him up. You know, uh, they didn't need much help, though, because Tennessee's passing game was just a disaster. And obviously the big story this game was Marcus Mariota finally getting the hook from uh, from Mike Vrabel. Got benched in the third quarter after throwing his second interception of the afternoon. And even before the interceptions, he was very inaccurate. He was 7 out of 18. And even on one of his completions, I remember, he had Delaney Walker wide open for 17 yards, which I guess I think that ended up being Mariota's longest completion of the game. uh, Walker was wide open. He had to come back for that ball. You know, if he hits him in stride, that could be like a 30, 40-yard game. There's just a lack of precision uh, there was another play to Delaney Walker on the opening drive uh, on the third and two where uh, Walker was wide open again. And Mariota just, you know, just missed him short on on what, you know, an NFL caliber starting quarterback needs to make that pass. And I guess Vrabel had seen enough. And Tannehill ended up, you know, they didn't score. He didn't finish drives. But Tannehill, was, it was definitely a vast improvement over what they were getting from Mariota and at least gave the, the offense a little energy when it needed it. Yeah, Mariota finished 7 of 18 for 63 yards and two interceptions, uh, three sacks for him. Ryan Tannehill finished 13 of 16, 144 yards and interception and four sacks on him. Both these quarterbacks historically just like hold the ball way too long and take sacks, and that is no good when the Titans offensive line is struggling as much as it is. Anything else to hear from Jesse? I mean, like I'm staring at this box score and like, sure. Philip Lindsay got a touchdown in 70 yards, Cortland Sutton, 76 yards on his own, but like, it's all just so bland. Derek Henry, 15 carries and 28 yards. Like again, with Pat assigning you these two games, he needs to like (laughs) have a makeup for you next week. Cause this is awful. Well, I'm just glad he didn't give me Redskins Dolphins. But uh, one one more note on on this game is that could be pretty significant for fantasy. Although that didn't really play out today so much. Emmanuel Sanders, who has had a really surprisingly great year coming off the last year's Achilles tear, he came into this game with a knee injury. It was taken off the final injury report um, when they released it on Friday, but was definitely had his practice reps rationed a bit with the knee injury, and he seemed to aggravate it in the first half today and didn't come out for the second half. And in theory, you would think that that would, uh, that Cortland Sutton would probably stand to benefit from the most from that. Although, you know, Sutton did have a solid game, 76 yards, but a lot of it came on one catch and that came during the first half. So maybe the reverse is true. Uh, It did seem like Sutton was drawing a little more attention 
um, which makes sense uh, with, with Sanders, their, their other threat, not on the field. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.